How to Be Mediocre by J.D. De Palma, primarily narrated by J.K. Larkin, with assistance by Danielle Masquode, published by Red Penguin Books. Chapter 12. Long, Long Gone. You could have knocked me over with a feather. It was almost like a part of my soul was ripped straight out of me. My best friend, the 23-year-old genius producer, dead. You ever hear something that devastates you and it's so unfathomable, it's like you didn't hear it? After Dad told me, it was like he had said it in Latin. I just made a face and acted like it wasn't what he said. Dad, what did you say? He gave me a big hug. Tim was riding his motorcycle when a 90-year-old with dementia blew through a stop sign and hit him. He was pronounced dead at the hospital after they tried everything. It happened just up the road about a mile away. I fell to the ground. I just lay on the floor without any intention of getting up. The guy who truly believed in me as a human being cut down in his prime by someone who shouldn't have been on the road? What the hell is wrong with this world? The good really do die young, and we leave the assholes to live forever. I lay on the floor crying for about an hour and 17 minutes. It could have been 20, but my watch had tears on it, so it was tough to read. I tried to call Tim's phone at least 10 times in that hour. I'd heard of people doing it, but I couldn't help hoping that he would pick up, and it was just like a death hoax from the internet. I even messaged him some old riffs to see if he'd respond. But no, he was long gone. I did get a message from Jackie, though. She was as distraught as I was. I got a bunch of messages from all the artists he worked with. All stuff about how he was an outstanding producer and just really good to artists. But honestly, Jackie and I were the only ones talking about Tim the human being. The guy that would call an Uber for you if you were short on money for a ride. The guy that boosted my self-esteem if I was ever feeling down on myself or my abilities. It really goes to show that you'll only be shown the respect you deserve when you're gone. Only when you can't hear the nice words that are said. The funeral was a week away. Tim's mother was so distraught, she was in denial up until two days before. She kept saying things like, that can't be him, he's on vacation, or he's at his father's house all week. Unfortunately, Tim never knew his dad, and he had only ever taken one vacation in his life three years ago. Even then, he brought a guitar along with him just in case something sparked. I pulled up to the funeral parlor with Ange. She hadn't let me out of her sight since I got off the floor. I was gripping her hand like a kid, so I wasn't showing much progress. Walking in, we realized we were about ten minutes early. If there were too many people, I probably would have bailed, because, oddly enough, I don't do well with big crowds without being in charge of them. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. We walked into the room where the funeral was to be held, and only a few people were there. This one cousin I had met once before, and 
his parents. I gave my respectful greeting, sat down, and just waited. The doors opened, so we stood arms folded. It turned out to be his mother being escorted in by two other family members. She looked like she was about to fall to the floor and had to be held up. I'd been there already, so I was about to join. <laughs> then they wheeled in the coffin. I was so not ready for this. He was wheeled in by about five family members. One of them seemed to be about 14 or 15, and he seemed awfully scrawny and emotional, so the casket was listening to the right while going down the aisle. So I walked over Angela's legs, walked up, and straightened it out while walking him down the rest of the way. Tim had guided me God knows how many times, time for me to return the favor. We lined up the way you do at open casket funerals. They popped the top open, and he laid there still. Even hanging out with the guy, he always bounced his leg as he had restless legs. Seeing him this still almost made me not believe it was him. They put in the belongings that meant the most to him. Childhood blanket he stuffed his bass drum with, a picture of him and his mom from his first concert, and the ACD wristband he had had since he was a kid, allegedly the only thing his father ever gave him. Lastly, they put in this china symbol he made out of a kid's toy from the church he played at. This friggin' bizarre-looking thing. Every time we jammed, I'd make fun of it, but he always had the same answer. Yeah, it sounds like shit, but I made it, man. I stood over him with my head down and hands at my front and said, Rest in peace, man. I love you. And I walked out. I couldn't handle this. I had Ange drop me off home and told her to just go. I needed to be alone for the weekend. I went to my room and shut the door. I didn't come out for a good ten hours. I came out just to eat dinner, then went back in. I didn't go to the basement once. Why write songs anymore? I can't captain a ship without my first mate. I got out of bed finally around Sunday afternoon. I started to walk and I had to catch myself for fear of falling over. I caught myself on my dresser that had my stereo on it. I accidentally hit it on and all of a sudden the stereo jumped to this track of us screwing around into the microphone. Just yelling and cursing with funny accents with auto-tune, just being crazy kids having fun in the studio. I couldn't help but giggle like a little girl. I knew I would always have these recordings and memories of us making music, but... I wished I could have one more minute with him just to say thanks. Just to write one more song, one more memory, and tell him how much he meant to me. My brother from another mother. Since I don't have him, I'll write one for him. Tim always got on my case about trying to branch out with new instruments, even if it was a piano. Everyone's heard you play guitar. Dig deep, bitch. Branch out once in a while. So I ran over the piano with my guitar, playing these four chords he always liked. I looked on the neck where the notes were and figured out the tempo on the piano. 
I started playing the chords whole, but it sounded too busy. Maybe it'd be good for the chorus, I don't know. But then I remembered he always liked it when one hand stayed the same while another played the bass notes. So I gave that a shot, and I figured out the verse then and there. As much as I liked these chords, the song seemed really bland and kind of boring on its own. No matter what words I put over it, it was kind of bare. Any guitar part I write for it just sounds too busy, so uh, maybe the drums will be constantly changing and that would be almost the interesting part. Like never having the same drum part in any verse or chorus. Regardless, the best drummer I ever worked with had recently died, so I guessed it was up to the few drum lessons he had given me to get me through this quagmire. After I had gotten up and made a cup of coffee, I got a call from an unknown number. Same area code, maybe a town or two over, but I answered it anyway. Hello? As you typically say. The voice on the other line was a woman who sounded familiar. Hello, this is Doug. Yes, it is. May I ask who's calling? Hi. Uh, this is Miss Fallon. Tim's mother? Oh. Um, hello, ma'am. I'm so sorry for your loss and to be acquainted this way. How may I help you? Well, I'm sorry to be a bother, but it seems you're one of the few numbers he had in his emergency contact book. Did you two record often? Tim's basement was soundproof, so anyone playing was never heard upstairs. Uh, yes, ma'am, I was over every Thursday for about the last three months. We'd go out together on the rare occasions, we'd both have the energy to get up, and we've been friends for many years. Oh, well, it seems like I found the right person to call then. What do you mean, ma'am? I was seriously confused. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind taking his recording equipment out of here. It's become far too painful to look at, and it'll do no good here by itself with me, so I figured if anyone should have it, it should go to someone he deemed important enough to write down for an emergency. This took the air out of my chest. I had barely any idea how to work any of that crap, but if this poor woman is suffering, I really ought to take it off her hands. Yes, ma'am, I'll be over within the hour. I called Jackie, and we both went over to dismantle it all. As we walked in, we're greeted by her in pajamas, a robe, and no makeup on. She'd probably cry it all off anyway, but you could tell she'd been in a world of pain by the redness under her eyes. They matched mine. So, we walked down. Take everything out except the drum set. That I want to stay with me. Yes, ma'am. We both said at the same time. We went through everything. The crap wires he'd kept in an attempt to fix them, the headphones from the mid-90s he thought were vintage, and God knows how many broken drumsticks he at one point had tried to hot glue together to make a chair. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it broke instantly and had sat on the ground broken ever since. We picked it all up and took some of the posters of the band he was in off the wall. Thought it would be nice for his mother to have them framed. We chucked the broken sticks in a garbage bag, took the 
drums upstairs to vacuum the rug they were on, and the rest of the basement after everything was done. We loaded the cars up with box after box. Then we went back in and said goodbye to Tim together in the basement. We went upstairs and said goodbye to his mom. As I pulled away, I couldn't help but look at his house in the rearview mirror. It was the final moment of realizing my friend was long, long gone. Wait a second. What a title. Jackie and I went back to my place, plugged in the bare essentials, and hammered out the song very quickly. I still had Dad's drum kit, so I figured out some ambient beats to fit the straightforward patterns. It was almost like drumming when necessary and in good taste. Jackie and I made it a duet. I almost couldn't make it through when she wrote, Now you'll always be 23 years old. Now you'll always be out in the cold.
pieces. Even now it makes my bones ache. We had something that would immortalize our mutual friend. The friend that brought the two of us together as artists and souls with the same dream and ambitions. I'll always love my friend and miss him more than I can bear. I just wish I had one last moment to tell him one thing. I could write it down a million ways, but I'll always come back to... What the fuck is up with that symbol, dude? Some things will never change. This has been How to Be Mediocre by J.D. DePalma. Primarily narrated by J.K. Larkin with assistance by Danielle Masquode. Published by Red Penguin Books.